Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Students, I was thinking about this song last night. Um, because when we are singing these songs, like, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Whatever it costs me, wherever you lead me. Sometimes we think of the like romantic stories of like we're going to go to college and accomplish all of our dreams or we're going to go into that job and we're going to accomplish all of our dreams or sometimes it's even like kind of like the story of the Christian where it's like yeah if it means that I'm going to get made fun of or persecuted like I can do that but sometimes what Jesus calls us to follow him into is ordinary faithfulness and the everyday whatever that looks like and sometimes it's laying down our preferences sometimes it's laying down our our dreams. Sometimes it's laying down our passions and allowing God to shape it. So my biggest prayer for seniors, you especially, but citizens, is not that your life would look exactly like you hoped it would, but that you would keep your ears and your heart open to the guidance of the Lord, because he'll take you exactly where you need to be. And that's, that is our hope at Citizens. We, we, we start with sixth graders. I love you. You're my favorite. Shh, don't tell the seniors. And then we send you off as seniors, so proud of who you are and who you're becoming. And we continue to pray for you. Man, so tonight's going to be a good night. Um, students, you can go ahead and find your seats. Uh, I had the privilege. Thank you, band. I had the privilege to uh, work with our seniors um, who are preaching tonight. And uh, we opened it up to them and asked them, what is one thing that you want your brothers and sisters here at Citizens to know? And so they have been thinking and they have been praying and they have been prepping. Um, what is the word uh, from the Lord and from the scriptures that they would love to share with you as their final words? And so first up, um, snaps, claps, what do you want to do? Welcome Paige up to the stage. It rhymes. So uh, Paige uh, came to us pretty recently, right? September of 2022, you said. So um, Paige is new to Citizens, but she has jumped right in, plugged in, and she has a word for you guys this week or today. Are you guys ready? All right. Are you ready? You got this. All right. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Paige. I'm new here, and since many of you don't know me, I wanted to share my story. Growing up, my family moved around a lot. And since we moved so much, we never really went to church. When my parents got divorced, my mom's sister and I went to church a few times. But when she met my stepdad and ha had my little brothers, we stopped going all together. My junior year of high school, all my friends told me they didn't want to be friends with me anymore. And I was completely alone. I was very depressed, and I thought I was going to feel that way for the rest of my life. Then I reconnected with my friend whom I hadn't talked to since middle school. Eden kept telling me to come to youth group with her and I finally gave in and went. Sometimes life throws you curveballs. I never would have thought my parents would get divorced or that all my friends would leave, but hard stuff happens and God is the only one who can get you through it. So how can we stay strong in your faith? When unexpected things happen to us, how can we continue to trust in God? Um, open your Bibles to 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Peter answers these questions in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 9, when he says, 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your advisory, the devil, prowls around, you're sorry, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. These verses were written by Peter, who was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter is writing to members of the Christian church who are being persecuted. Some were beaten, some were put in prison, and some were even killed, all because they believed in Jesus, which all led to Peter writing this message that applies to us even today. This is why it's important to maintain our faith. We need to trust in God and understand that no matter the struggle, he will be there for you. We cannot hold back from God by doing everything on our own. C.S. Lewis once said that being humble is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. So how can we do this? We have to give God everything and know, sorry, we have to give God everything and know that he will be there for us because he cares for us. He cares about your test. He cares about your argument with your mom. God doesn't pick and choose struggles and say that one matters more than the other. In God's eyes, every struggle, big or small, is just as important. And not just your own struggles, but he cares about your family's struggles and your friends' struggles just as much as yours. He loves us all. He cares for us. The devil wants to grip on to all of your fears and anxieties, and he wants you to give in. The devil likes to attack us when we are most vulnerable, like when I lost all my friends. But God works when we least expect it. We have to remember to humble ourselves, but we also have to remember to maintain that, even if we are struggling with anxiety, fear, depression, anything. We have to give those struggles to God, because if we don't, as Peter says, the devil prowls around like a pouring lion, seeking someone to devour. When I felt the most alone I had ever felt, God sent me Eden, and through citizens, I have met some of my closest friends. Even though God can't physically be with us in those hard moments, he sends us friends and mentors who can speak truth into our lives and strengthen us. In those lowest moments, it's easy to want to isolate ourselves from the people we love. But in those moments, it's when we need them the most. Peter writes about this when he says, the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It's important to remember that you are not alone. Everyone experiences the same things you do. When I was struggling, I thought I was completely alone. This verse reminds us that every struggle is experienced by every Christian. I used to have this idea in my head of the perfect Christian who doesn't struggle because they pray and read their Bible every day. But the thing is, nobody is perfect and everybody struggles, even those, even those people who we think don't. We need to remember that every time we think we are alone in our battles, we aren't, and that the same struggles are being experienced by every Christian and that God has a plan to get us through it. In 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11, Peter says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. If we are humble before God and maintain our faith, we will be sustained through Christ. All of our suffering is only temporary. God's timing is always right. In the proper time, he will strengthen you. Your suffering is for a short while, but eternal life with Christ in his kingdom 
is forever. I said before that I thought I was going to feel the way I did a year ago for the rest of my life. I felt so defeated, and I thought I, nothing was ever going to be as good as it once was before. But God had a plan for me, and he put that struggle in my life to show me, and he put that struggle in my life to show me that the friends that I had had were not good friends. In fact, they weren't even friends at all. Through all that he sent through all that, he certainly sent me my current friends, which showed me that the only thing that could get me through hard times is Jesus. I thought my parents' divorce was the end of the world, and I never was going to have a whole family ever again. But I do. I have my stepmom and her family who have welcomed me and my sister with open arms. And though we have our moments, I have my stepdad too. My family is bigger than ever. Every single thing I have in my life is because of God. Every single thing we have in all of our lives is because of God. And in return, we live our lives doing everything for his glory and not our own. It's so important to, that we remember these things, that we remember that no matter the struggle, big or small, a struggle that lasts for a day, a struggle that is lifelong, all of these sufferings are for a short while, but in the end, we will be strengthened and sustained through Christ. Your suffering is for a short while, but eternal life with Christ is forever. It's important to maintain our faiths. Trusting Christ will sustain us. It is important to trust God no matter what and not to put yourself above him. Maintaining your faith may be difficult, but remember that we are a church family and that you are not alone, even if you feel like it. Our sufferings are for a short while, but life with Christ is eternal. When I was at my worst, I put my trust in God, and he got me through it. By maintaining my faith, by praying, by reading my Bible, Though I'm definitely not perfect, I try, and to God, that's enough. So I leave you all here tonight with this, that we should not only maintain our faiths, even through our struggles, but we should do it knowing that in the end, Christ will sustain us. My first time I ever came to Citizens last September, Noah's sermon related so much to what had been going on in my life. He talked about anxieties and about putting your faith in God, and I knew that God had sent me to this very place for a reason. So I hope that if this is your first time at Citizens, maybe even your first time at church ever, you hear this because I know it's in that moment I exactly what I need exactly what I needed. God cares about you. You are not alone. Humble yourself before him. Christ will sustain you because your struggles are only for a short while and life with him is forever. Thank you. Amen. Yes, that passage was talking to us, as Paige said so, so clearly, that as we work to maintain trust in God, he's the one that holds us. He's the one that sustains us through every season, and that's beautiful. Um, I hope you guys are writing down these verses, because these are ones you should, like, totally put on your wall in your house or, like, write on your forehead or your mirror. Um, these are beautiful reminders. All right, up next, um, we have Mr. Hudson Wallace. Come on up. So Hudson is a little di different other than the fact that he's much taller than Paige, but uh, we have known each other since sixth grade, your sixth grade year. I remember Hudson, he was like three times shorter than this, and uh, I didn't know how tall you were going to get. This is amazing. But most importantly, I didn't know how much he was going to grow into a godly man, and so it's been very cool. It's my favorite part of being a part of Citizens is that we get to see our sixth graders um, through the journeys of their life and what you're going through. So we're so proud of you, and we're ready to hear what you have to say. Awesome. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay, what's up, guys? The title of my sermon tonight is A Call to Rejoice. I'll be reading out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, so if you have a Bible, you can open there now. Like Courtney said, my name is Hudson. I'm sure a lot of you probably know me, but if not, maybe you recognize my face. Like she also said, I've been coming here since I was in sixth grade. Citizens has been a great experience for me, and uh, it's crazy how time flies. So all you sixth graders out there, before you know it, you may be just where I am giving your senior sermon. So obviously, since I'm up here giving a sermon, graduating high school this Saturday, and uh, it's been a journey. My high school career has definitely had a lot of ups and downs. There's been times that have been really smooth. Things have came easy, you know. School was going well. Friendships were going well. But there's also been valleys in my life, specifically in my high school career, that have been really hard for me. And there's been times where I felt like I don't know what to do. There's many things on a day-to-day basis that can overwhelm us and cause us stress and anxiety. And because of this, a question arises, and that question is, how do we find peace? But we know that the only peace that is true and the only peace that lasts is peace through Jesus Christ. So the answer to how do we find peace through Jesus Christ can be pulled from this text. So I'll be starting from verse 4, and it reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So like I said, the question is, how do we find peace through Christ Jesus? And the answer can be pulled from the text in the form of three main points. The first point being to rejoice. So verses 4 through 5 say, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So students, to rejoice in the Lord doesn't mean that we can never be sad or depressed. And it doesn't mean that we have to walk around with a smile on our face 24-7. In fact, our Savior, Jesus Christ, could weep and yet have the fullness of joy, even as he faced the cross. Paul commands us to weep with those who weep, and yet to rejoice always. And the Bible says that godly people are marked both by mourning and yet the irrepressible joy, because we know that whatever troubles we face on the earth, or struggles that we may be dealing with, no matter how great, are nothing compared to the peace that we can feel, knowing that Jesus Christ grants us eternal life. So that's the first point. Rejoice. And the second point is to present requests. Reading verses 6 through 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we're to present our requests to God. Whatever concerns we have, Whatever's weighing us down, whenever we feel overwhelmed, we're not to dwell on those things. We're to give those to God. Whatever hardships we face, whatever uh, requests we may have, we're to petition those to God through prayer. So you may read the part where it says, we'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
and ask yourself, what does that mean? What is my heart and mind being guarded from? And the answer to that question is, you're being guarded from emotions like anxiety and depression because you know that we have eternal life through God and we can be confident in that. So the first two points, rejoice and present requests. We're moving on to the third point, which is think about such things. And of course, when I say that, I'm referring to verse 8, which reads, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So here we're given eight guidelines for our mind, eight criteria of things to think about. Again, it says whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. These thoughts are what should fill our mind. Again, going back to verse 2, point 2, sorry, which says present requests. We're not to dwell on our anxieties and worries. We're to give those to God. And instead, we're to dwell on things that follow these eight criteria, whatever is true, whatever is noble. Those are the things we're to fill our minds with. So with these three points in mind, we can move on to verse 9, which reads, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is telling us how to receive God's peace here. He gives us these three points, but then there's one key phrase in verse 9 that ties it all together and makes it all possible. And that, that line is, put it into practice. And that's what we have to do, because these things don't come naturally to us, at least for me. I have to make a conscious decision daily to incorporate these three points into my life, to remember to rejoice because we have eternal life, to remember to present requests because God calls us to give our anxieties to him, and remember to fill our minds with holy things, to think about such things. So if we practice these things and remember to rejoice, present requests, and to think about such things, and even though our life may be hectic and we may be extremely overwhelmed, we know that God's peace is easily accessible to us. So leave here tonight remembering that. Thank you, guys. Well done, well done. Seems like there's some themes here, right, tying us together. You know, Paige talked about us that we are held in his hands, and, and Hudson's encouraging us that, man, we can rejoice, we can have peace as we think about the things of God. And so um, this, is, uh, this is the message for all of us, is we rest in God, we find a true life there, even in struggles, even in trials. And so we have another student coming up. Eden, are you ready? Yes, Eden, come on up. So Eden's another student that's been around for a bit. Is seventh grade? Or was it eighth grade? Seventh grade. Um, so uh, she'll tell more about her story in her sermon. Um, but I remember the first day she showed up, and I'm so glad you're still with us. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I got to say, I'm sad but also excited to see what Laura has next for you. Are you ready? We're ready. Are you guys ready for Eden? She's going to do a great job. Hey guys, so as Courtney said, my name is Eden and I'm a senior at Union High School. So again, I have been coming here since seventh grade, but when I first started coming here, I actually didn't really know a lot of people. 
And this made it really hard for me to even want to be here and come to church because I struggle with social anxiety. And just to kind of give you an example of how bad it was, I'll tell you a quick little story. So it was probably one of my first like nights here and my dad is driving me and we pull into the parking lot and we're kind of just like sitting in the car and I'm like, oh, I don't want to go in one more minute. Like, please just let me stay in the car one more minute. And before I know it, like, I'm literally crying. Like, I'm crying in the car because I just didn't really want to be somewhere where I didn't know anybody or felt like an outsider. Thankfully, my dad eventually gave in, and we went grocery shopping instead. And we didn't tell my mom about it for, like, a year or something. <laughs> so, yeah. Some of you may be able to relate to my story of feeling anxious when you have to be in an unfamiliar place where you don't know a lot of people, while others of you may thrive in it. Either way, the truth is that we all need peace from whatever anxiety we face. As middle and high schoolers, we are constantly faced with things that can bring us worry, whether big or small, but there is a way to make these feelings seem less overwhelming. When we have those moments of pure anxiety, like I did, what would Jesus say to us? How does Jesus comfort us in those times of uncertainty? Tonight, we're going to see firsthand how Jesus handles those situations by the way that he addresses his disciples' anxieties in the text today. So let's see what God's word has to say about this. Um, I'd like to ask you guys to please open your Bibles to John 14, verses 25 through 27. Okay, so it reads, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So just for some quick context, this scene is taking place during Jesus' final meal with his followers. Jesus has just told his disciples that he is leaving and going to the Father to prepare a place for them, but that he will return. Before he leaves, he instructs his disciples to keep his commandments. So the disciples are a little confused because they don't really understand what Jesus is telling them or why he even has to leave. And this would make sense since these were some of Jesus' closest friends and they didn't want him to go away. Not only that, but they were also concerned because Jesus was their mentor. Many of the disciples were probably wondering how they would keep Jesus' commandments without him there to guide them. How could they spread the word if they weren't perfect at it themselves? Thankfully, Jesus is aware of these feelings because he is the ultimate empath. He knows everything we're feeling and can relate to it. Jesus wants to bring his disciples comfort, which leads him to speak what is said in these three verses. Let's look back at the text. Verses 25 and 26 read, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the first thing we see when it comes to peace is that Jesus gives us his spirit. Even though Jesus is leaving, his disciples will not be alone because he is sending the spirit. So I know the spirit can be a little difficult to understand, and at times I've really struggled in understanding it myself, but I'll try to explain it as simply as possible. Everyone has a conscience which tells them what's right and what's wrong, but the Spirit is the one who helps us to choose the right thing and guides us. 
For example, let's say I forgot about a test and I have no idea how to answer the questions, which I've obviously never done before. <laughs> um, I want to do well, but I know the only way I'm going to pass this test is if I cheat off the person next to me. My conscience would tell me cheating is wrong, but the spirit is the one who helps me to resist that temptation and take the test on my own. The spirit does many things. In these verses, Jesus calls him our helper, but he is also called the comforter, the advocate, our intercessor. In other words, he is the one that dwells in us and keeps us from becoming overwhelmed. In the context of this passage, Jesus is promising the spirit specifically to his disciples to teach them and help them remember what he said to them. And this is significant because without the spirit, the disciples wouldn't have been able to write a large portion of the Bible and we wouldn't know as much about what Jesus did while he was here on earth. And although Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples, the spirit is promised to everyone who believes in Jesus. And although Jesus is leaving, he didn't leave us with nothing, but sent us his spirit to give us discernment on how we should live. So this means right now, in this very moment, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, the Holy Spirit is in you. So the first thing we see is that Jesus is giving us his spirit to bring us peace. Not only does he do this, but he also gives us something else. Let's see what the text says. Verse 27 reads, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, first, Jesus literally gives us a part of himself, the spirit. And second, Jesus gives us true peace. In this verse, there are two kinds of peace. God's peace and worldly peace. So, I'm going to talk about worldly peace for a little bit. In the context of John's writing, worldly peace simply means that there's no war or conflict. It's when everything looks good and it is based on the situation. So the world tries to give us peace through our accomplishments in school or sports or feeling accepted by others or what we own. But the truth is when our peace is found in the world, our foundation isn't firm. It could change at any moment because eventually all of those things will fade. God's peace, on the other hand, is the complete opposite. God's peace is eternal and not dependent on our situation. It is always available to us. Sorry, I lost my spot. Oh my gosh. Okay. It is always available to us, and it comes from being in his presence. So as I said at the beginning, um, I struggle with anxiety. So I'm in constant need of peace. And something that I've learned is that I simply just have to ask God for peace. If I'm worried about a test, I ask God for peace. If I'm trying to fall asleep at night, I ask God for peace. He always comes through. God wants to give us peace. And when we go to him, he is always faithful to calm our fears. Being anxious is a part of being human. Even the people closest to Jesus experience those feelings. Jesus understands what it's like to feel anxious, which is why he wants to offer us his peace. And this is what gets us through those uncertainties. Finally, we see that Jesus ends with a commandment. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Okay, this seems like a pretty big thing for Jesus to ask of us. How can we not be troubled or afraid when the world seems like it's falling apart or when something bad happens to us or someone we love? But the thing is, Jesus never commands anything of us that we aren't able to do because he is the one who gives us strength. We can carry out this commandment because Jesus gives us his spirit and true peace.
When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he restored the broken relationship between us and God. Sorry, okay. True peace is only possible through Jesus because he embodies God's peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he's actually referred to as the Prince of Peace. Peace has already been accomplished for us through Jesus. We only need to go to him in the midst of uncertainty. So the big thing that I want to leave with you guys tonight is just to simply rest your hearts in Jesus' promises. In middle and early high school, God's peace was the hardest thing for me to understand. At times, everything in my life was causing anxiety. I was worried about grades, friendships, family, anything you could think of. And the reason for this was that I was putting my faith in things other than God. I was trying to do everything on my own. Living that way was difficult, and I don't want that for you guys. What I want you guys to remember when you're feeling overwhelmed or your future feels uncertain is that God holds everything in his hands. God is worthy of our trust, and he is the only one who can offer us real peace. Rest your hearts in Jesus' promises. Thank you. Oh, man. This is really fun. Are you guys having fun? I'm like over there, like my, my soul is ministered to these sermons. Thank you. Thank you. That's, I'm just over there like, amen. Amen. It's so good. All right. Well, I hate to say that we're coming to a close because these have been super awesome, but we have one left. Are you guys ready? Micah, <laughs> come on up. Okay. So Micah, you've been around for a little bit, but probably like what, junior year? Yeah, junior year. So you can't miss Micah. He is a ball of energy and joy and excitement, um, either where he's roller rinking and jumping over people at Winter Conference or a number of other things. Uh, but he has got a good word for us today. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. I'm Micah. You might know me. Um, today, let's turn our attention to the powerful words found in the book of James, specifically in chapter 1, starting in verse 12. We're going to go through verse 15. In, this, uh, in these verses, we find valuable insights into the nature of temptation, the devastating consequences of yielding to it, and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ to overcome it and find salvation. Uh, join me as we find out how through Christ we can conquer temptation and experience the transformative power of his saving grace. Let's read the text. Um, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let nobody say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully, uh, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The first point in verse 12 is the blessing of endurance. James begins by reminding us that blessings that we will receive when we endure temptation. Temptation in itself is not sin. It says that in verse 13. It's, um, you know, it's, that's where sin starts. It starts with the desire and that temptation. But it is not in itself sin, and that can be discouraging when, you know, you're tempted and you think that, okay, I'm already sinning. That's, it can, you know, weigh you down, but that's not the case. Um, it's an opportunity for growth and to pr- you know, grow in perseverance and steadfastness in your faith. Um, by remaining faithful to Christ, we can inherit the crown of life that he promised to those who endure. James is writing here to scattered Christians who were persecuted, 
um, you know, in the early days, they weren't very safe. And it was very tempting for them in that time to deny Jesus for security, safety, comfort. But James is telling them to pers persevere and um, stand firm despite that the, the very difficult trials that they're facing. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 6 that we should lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And when our focus is oriented towards things above and not things that are right in front of us, we are able to persevere much more easily. You know, it's, I, I guess uh, one picture that someone showed me for that is like if you're holding your fingers right here, you know, somebody can be held right within your hand. So if you're holding your struggles right here, God can be seen right there, that tiny. But if you're holding God right here, everything else is filtered through that. And, you know, it's easier to endure. It's easier to be focused on him and not the things that are in front of you in the world. Um, now that we understand the value of endurance, though, let's explore the grave consequences of succumbing to temptation. It says in verses 13 through 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts nobody. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. That desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James warns us very sternly that yielding to temptation from our own desires leads to sin and ultimately spiritual death. Sin may seem enticing and gratifying in the moment, but it deceives and entangles us and severs our connection with God, creates a separation. And God is life. When we're separated from God, that brings death because it's separation from life. And um, God is the only way to life. He says that in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. And um, there is no way to the Father except through him. Um, one second. <laughs> uh, it is crucial to recognize that sin is a destructive force, and it can only be overcome by the redemptive power of Christ. Um, one way to think about these few verses, it says that sin starts as a desire, then it goes to sin once it is conceived, then it goes to death. Well, so that desire, you could think of that as just a little seed, and it becomes a tree once it's watered. It's put in good soil, it's given sunlight, and that's what that desire does when you make provision for it. It says in Romans 13, 14, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That provision is when you water it and you plant it and you give it everything it needs to grow. And when it grows, it starts as a little sapling and you're like, oh, that's harmless. It's cute. It won't hurt me. But then it grows and it takes root and it just fills your life and destroys everything in your life. Um, there's a quote. It says, sin will take you farther, farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Despite the dire consequences of sin, there's hope and deliverance through our Lord and Savior. We can have victory over temptation through Christ. If we return to verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Um, Christ, through his life, and his death and his resurrection provided us with the ultimate example and the means to overcome temptation. When he was tempted by Satan, he did not give in, he endured. And when he was about to face death on the cross, he endured and he did what God asked him to do. He remained steadfast and he did not, you know, 
decide to do his own thing instead of what God asked him to do. Um, by embracing Christ's teaching, relying on his strength, and walking in the power of his Holy Spirit, we can triumph over temptation and experience true transformation. Um, I've had experiences in my life where I've let sin take root. I've made provision for it, and it grew into everything. I'm going to share a little bit about that. I was in eighth grade, and I switched schools from homeschool to public school, and I was kind of in the world, you know. It was completely different experience than I'd had before, and I was, I got into a bad group of friends just trying to find acceptance in a people who um, I could fit in with. So I was influenced by these friends and pressured into trying substances I shouldn't have tried, and that slowly, over the next few years, took root in my life and grew and took over everything. Um, and around the end of 10th grade, the beginning of 11th grade, I was realizing, you know, this was getting really destructive, and this isn't a path I wanted to continue on. So I tried to quit in all sorts of different ways, you know, but I just couldn't. I was addicted. I was stuck. I was lost, and I thought I could do it on my own. I thought I was strong enough, but I wasn't. Um, it wasn't till the beginning of my junior year last year that I really figured out I needed to rely on Jesus because I was not strong enough. And um, I started praying and reading my word and getting into it and really growing my relationship with God. And he gave me the power that I needed to overcome that. And I can proudly say that through Christ Jesus, I have been sober since December 18th, 2021. Um, um, so there's practical steps you have to take to overcome that temptation. When Jesus was tempted, he didn't give in because he was in the word. He was probably meditating on God's word at the time. So when Satan told him, do this, Jesus gave him a verse. Um, one of the, my favorite verses in the Bible is in Matthew 4. It says, Jesus said this when he was tempted by Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It can be easy to think, you know, we need some physical way to get out of temptation, some earthly way to do it, but we really need the spiritual power that's only found through the Holy Spirit that Christ leaves with us and gives us comfort, like Eden said, right? Um, that's how we get peace. That's how we overcome it, is through God's Spirit, because we are weak, but He is strong. Um, we need to cultivate a relationship with God. That's a lifestyle of prayer and fellowship, um, praying to God and asking Him for what we need, like Hudson said, right? In all situations, pray instead of being anxious and um, God of peace will, uh, dang it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And, um, yeah, and we need to fellowship. I mean, I, there's people in this room who've helped me very much in times when I needed it, um, Christian brothers who have given me a lot of support, and um, without some of those people, I'd be in a much worse place. Um, and we need to guard our hearts and minds. We need to identify areas of vulnerability in our lives and take proactive measures to avoid or limit exposure to those temptations. Um, like what Paul says in Romans, make no provision. Do not provide for the flesh. Do not, don't even give it an inch. And most importantly, we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. We need to surrender to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to resist temptation and live victoriously. In conclusion, let us remember that temptation is an ever-present reality in our lives. 
However, through Christ, we have the strength and assurance to triumph over sin and salvation. May we not be discouraged by past failures, but instead, let us fix our gaze upon Jesus, who promises to guide us and transform us into our likeness, into his likeness, my bad. As we embrace the wisdom found in James 1, 12 through 15, let us embark on a journey of victory, relying on the power of Christ to overcome temptation and experience the abundant life that he has prepared for us. May we encourage one another and hold fast to our faith, knowing that in Christ we are more than conquerors. Um, I'm going to read verse 12 one more time. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test of, time, uh, of this test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Amen.